Hello, and welcome to Afterthoughts. This is our recommend or refute episode. I love it. It gets longer every time. (laughs) More drawn out every time. Uh, I am your host, Ryan King. And with me today, we have... John Garcia. Hey, everybody. Excited to bring more schlock to the table. God damn it. We decided yeah, we were going to sandwich yeah. your schlock between good movies. Schlock sandwich is about, always a good time, hear about baby. Some movies. <laughs> yeah. And the uh, the other voice you were hearing joining us. Michael Dixon, uh, how's it going? Not excited to hear about John's schlock, but uh, I think we'll have some other good movies to talk about today. Not excited, so. but open-minded? No, oh, no, okay, I didn't okay. say that. Well, there we go. <laughs> I look forward to the day that Dixon brings us. Like He's like, wow, I just watched the absolute worst thing and then he wants to talk about it <laughs> like I, I did talk about space jam 2 on, on yeah the previous iteration i don't of this remember podcast. that i don't remember space jam 2 oh. either <laughs> yeah just because you're in denial john doesn't mean it didn't happen stashed away in the, the bermuda triangle of my mind <laughs> you did not bring space jam 2 neither of you did you just went off on it yep uh, <laughs> It couldn't not be talked about. It was so upsetting. Neither could Sylvester. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, Dixon, why don't you you kick us off with an with an actual movie and start us off? Yeah. So um, this weekend, I was hanging out at John's place, and uh, may or may not have been on a mind altering substance, and uh, we decided to watch two thousand one: A Space Odyssey because why the fuck not? Welcome to voice print identification. When you see the red light go on. Would you please state in the following order your destination, your nationality, and your full name? Moon, American, Floyd, Haywood R. Thank you. You are cleared through voice print identification. Thank you. Quite frankly, we have had some very reliable intelligence reports that quite a serious epidemic has broken out into clearance. I know there have been some conflicting views held by some of you. Regarding the need for complete security. Something apparently of an unknown origin. However, I accept the need for absolute secrecy. It hasn't been covered up by natural erosion or other forces. It seems to have been deliberately buried. Four million-year-old black monolith has remained completely inert, except for a single, very powerful radio emission. Three weeks ago, the American spacecraft Discovery One left on its half-billion-mile voyage to Jupiter. The sixth member of the Discovery crew was the HAL 9000 computer. No 9000 computer has ever made a mistake or distorted information. Just a moment. Just a moment. Do you know what happened? I'm sorry, Dave. I don't have enough information. Made radio contact with him yet. The radio is still dead. Hello, Hal. Do you read me? Hello, Hal. Do you read me? Do you read me, Hal? Do you read me, Hal? This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. I have it uh, on 4K, and John has a brand new 4K projector that is uh, real spiffy, and it looked fucking incredible. The restoration is really, really great. I mean, it's shot in 70 millimeter. You take that and put it on 4K. It it looked absolutely incredible. Um. 2001, like we've talked about Kubrick before about Dr. Strangelove and The Shining. And I think Kubrick is just one of the absolute, you know, most talented filmmakers to to ever live. I think 2001 is like, it, it's shocking to watch. Like every, this is like the fourth time that I've seen it now. And uh, it's just shocking, like how pristine and excellent that movie looks like it is the pinnacle of human achievement in filmmaking like it happened in 1968 and we will never make a movie as technically good as that movie as long as humanity exists um it's just it's just so like every single frame is like a painting it's just kubrick was a, a still photographer before he became a filmmaker and every shot is so well thought out and and balanced and just absolutely gorgeous to look at and the, the music, the classical music that he uses is so powerful and it works so well with every scene that it's in. Um, you know, a lot of people who don't enjoy 2001, you know, talk about, well, it's slow or there are, you know, I, I can't identify with the characters, but it's, it's like this bigger story that is beyond the characters on screen that is about, you know, the, the path of humanity and where we've been and where we're headed and how violence has propelled us forward and and through evolution and it's just like 
it's such an experience to watch and it's so difficult to articulate what it feels like to watch this movie yet here i am trying to do it very poorly but um i think it's just it's such an incredible film and like you know you look at kubrick he had just made dr strangelove before this and he had a very negative view about humanity he was convinced that we were all going to die from a nuclear warfare and you know he 2001 is you know kind of about humanity progressing through violence and extending that into space but then like there's hope that maybe some extraterrestrial force could help us to transcend the perpetual cycle of violence that we have been in as a species that we might be able to uh, see past that and evolve into to something higher where we don't have to kind of keep using that to to further ourselves. Um, and I think it's just absolutely a you know one of the best movies that's ever been made. And I, I always have a really great time with it whenever I watch it, I had only watched it in a theater before. And, you know, it's one of those movies that it just, it works so well on the big screen, but watching it on John's badass projector with some, uh, you know, enhancing, uh, substances was an Adobe Atmos sound system. Yes. I don't want to brag on that. But, uh, know, John has, has a very nice home theater <laughs> setup. Uh, it was pretty fucking great. So, um, yeah, I had a hell of a time with it. Uh, and I believe John did as well, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, I did have a really good time with it. It was a little aggressive, uh, given the alleged, maybe, sort of, maybe not, uh, mind-altering substances. <laughs> Watching a bunch of early, uh, the the Dawn of Man, a bunch of monkey men uh, brutalize each other. Um, Beating each other yeah. with bones. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like intense shit. Uh, but yeah, the, the sound mixing was excellent on it. And the frames were fucking beautiful. We talked through some of it and other parts. We were just completely silent and awestruck. Um, it's one of those things that like really encapsulates what a home theater experience can be. Like you don't need the setup that we're talking about necessarily helps. Sure. But like watching a movie this good on like any screen and, you know, David Lynch crying, if you watch it on a phone, mm-hmm. um, it still can just like convey so much with its visual elements that I was like, holy shit, it's been 15 years since I'd seen it too. So I was coming into it with like not a whole lot of what I remembered about it. Uh, Cause I saw it when I was just like basically a teen about to enter college and had no fucking concept of what I watched the Punisher 2004 so many times when I was that <laughs> age, like, come on. Uh, <laughs> So watching something that was this slow that took its time and really lets like certain segments of science fiction breathe um, in my adult life. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, please give me more of that. Take more time. This is great. I fucking love it. The The only thing the entire time we t- kind of talked about the technicality that Kubrick approaches. Um, I'm actually kind of not in disagreement that it can never be done again, but like I guess I lament that Kubrick isn't alive today to take advantage of technical achievements. Like Disney has that big fucking soundstage that can really replicate a full Mm -hmm. reality around the actors and give them full ambient light and everything like having an eye for photography and knowing what kind of lighting or what these sets would have been like, there are parts of the movie where you can tell it's on like a soundstage and it had to be because it's the sixties. There's those moments where I'm like, yeah, these technical elements and in like this modern time, I would never know that this was actually a movie. Like I would just get lost in the frames even more so, but it's just a testament to how solid it was from the sixties that we debated at times. Is it a set? I don't actually know. Like we definitely know these are actors, but they're also like doing a really fucking good job of being monkey men and (laughs) fucking around. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like, Ryan, the models, yeah, the, like the models that they use, the interiors, the like rotating. They built like, that set. Yeah, it's so like a rotating mass, massive hamster wheel of a set to <laughs> yeah. to be this like massive space station that is yeah. is turning to simulate gravity, and it's just like holy shit, they fucking built this. Like today, that would all be shot on a green screen and it would look dog shit. It looks like crap. Yeah, it honestly holds up really, really well, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Um, I, I'm very partial to, to science fiction. Um, Arthur C. Clarke partnered with Kubrick in writing this. Um, it is not based on Arthur C. Clarke's novel, 2001 no. Space Odyssey. The novel is based on the movie. Yep. 
mm-hmm. where he went to like flesh out what I guess Kubrick changed that he wanted to change back to his. Um, but functionally, like the concepts are there. And I think that's where you can tell that Kubrick is bringing his vision, his craft, the way he's using music, the way he's using the lack of dialogue, the like things that to, to show, not tell a lot. There's no over like this is a, and I understand the work, original cuts, original thoughts to do what they did to Blade Runner to like explain over fucking everything. Yeah. Um, but you can see the touch that Clark has in actually how a fucking space station would work. Mm-hmm. Like these concepts of, you know, an alien race, like beyond our understanding that has evolved, you know, something past us that I think at the end of the movie, they even, even so like, I don't get it. Right. Like it's still a higher plane even than he gets to at the end of this. Yeah. Um, like all that stuff. I fucking, yeah, I love it. Kubrick's like attention to detail is ridiculous. It's one of the things I always talk about. It's wise in this there's a in the early scene before the the guy's like leaving <laughs> and he like talks to his daughter on the little phone or whatever and yeah. <laughs> uh she wants a bush baby it sounds um, like some sort of australian creature like is, yeah. is there are, she asking yeah. him to it's capture actually, that it's actually a texan creature by the oh, name of jeb okay. <laughs> oh a bush baby, yeah. a bush baby. <laughs> i want a george um, for my birthday daddy <laughs> we only have jeb um, <laughs> Jeb. <laughs> so he, there, there's a like a shirt change it's like a mishap where like the shirt color switches or something because of just continuity problem and kubrick went back and dubbed over like an explanation of someone having lost a shirt in a bathroom just because he wants that fucking perfect of a film um it's ridiculous <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um all the stuff with how the ai still fucking reference to this day you know articles oh, yeah. coming out people freaking out about chat gpt talking about how um yeah th- it's and i would say of kubrick stuff this this is honestly probably referenced the most um yeah, yeah i think just, so ask anybody yeah. named dave i'm sure yeah I'm sure <laughs> they have to live too with much. that <laughs> Um, but yeah, like not, not just the like concepts, the sci-fi concepts, but definitely, you know, the music and the bit, like every time you hear the spec spoke Zathrustra, whatever, like it, it's just copying this usually like, it's like, that's it. That's what that song is now. Sorry. Whoever fucking wrote that a thousand years ago, <laughs> it's now forever yeah. monkeys hitting Blue shit. D- Blue Dahlia <laughs> and all that. Yeah. It's, it's so like that, all that music has just become part of 2001, a space odyssey, even though right. it was written hundreds of years earlier and yeah, has n- yeah. nothing to do with the movie in the first place but it's so it's become so indelible in the zeitgeist with 2001 that it's impossible to separate at this point yeah um i, I like almost all of kubrick's stuff so it's like hard to pin down like which is the quote best i do think from a like a technical standpoint 2001 is just amazing yeah and like it just pushed movie making forward. It showed what space could fucking actually be and actually look like and made it seem real, like a tangible reality of space um, in a time where people were excited about space. Um, that, yeah, like from that standpoint, it's awesome. I agree that it feels like it's like a couple different movies glued together so I can get where because it, it does kind of like feel like it jumps a little bit in its plots because it isn't just like the how plot is really interesting and all that and how that builds but there's like that ends and we kind of continue a little bit that's like a third, i think is where yeah yeah where people kind of lose it and it is slow in the early build to set up all those pieces um but those pieces but I, connect really yeah, well like yeah, they are yeah. self-contained but the the through story through all of it i think works in- incredibly well all together yeah i think it does i think this is yeah it's interesting because i feel like this movie is the one that people come back to of like oh, critics think this is great and they're up their ass and then people don't like this movie. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you actually look at, like, the reviews, I think kind of across the board, everyone agrees it's good. I think critics kind of universally are like, this is excellent. And some people are like, it's weird. The baby at the end's weird. And they just they just mm-hmm. don't want to, they just don't gel with that, which I get. Um, but it's funny that that becomes, yeah. like, this, this is the, like, lightning rod of Kubrick films to be like, Oh, it's all high and mighty and weird. 
That was, that was kind of, it's funny that you're talking about that. Cause that's kind of what I told Dixon. My dad's opinion of this movie was, which, you know, if my dad ever listened to this, maybe I'm misquoting him and yeah. he can correct <laughs> me at his, his leisure. But, uh, I just remember him when I talked about space odyssey, him being like, yeah, that movie, it wasn't really that good. Like it was just weird and it didn't do too well. And, but he came from Corpus Christi, Texas. I have no idea what the demographic there wants in terms of a theatrical experience. The but Selena if it's movie. Like this two and a half. Hundred percent. The Selena yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, yeah. Never stopped did, running in Corpus Christi. It did huge there, <laughs> along with La Bamba, I'm sure. Yeah. But yeah. Like, uh, um, but yeah, it was just one of those things where I was like, that's all that I've heard for like a lot of my childhood. It was just like 2001 is just a weird fucking movie, and it's kind of in this niche area of it. And then when I watched it this weekend, I was like, the fuck are you talking about? I have no idea. This is this is great. It uh, also like like now the conversation around the movie is oh critics love it, but like oh yeah, it's it's not for everybody. It's kind of weird, but like when it released, critics did not like it, and audiences loved it, and it was a huge box office hit. Like it took a little while to to take off. Like it didn't do that well in its first few weeks, but then it started to get word of mouth and a lot of young people really loved it and went to see it in droves. And it was like the second highest grossing movie of 1968. Yeah. Um, you know, it did really well when it, when it came out and it was a popular film that wasn't critically acclaimed. And now it's the, the inverse of that. And, you know, like film nerds like us love it, but you know, it's not like if you just show it to a random person who's used to watching Marvel movies, they're not, necessarily going to identify with it. I don't know, maybe they will, yeah. but it, it's just like it it's definitely uh it's telling a story visually and through music, not through plot and and dialogue. And you have to be able to uh be willing to interpret the story that way rather than looking for what you normally get in a movie. I have to think like if you're like a 20-year-old and went to the theater and saw this, your mind was fucking blown. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. There's no way audiences weren't like coming out and being like, dude, what? Like mm. <laughs> the the visuals and they were in space and this fucking evil robot thing. Like, yeah, I, I can see where people watch this and we're just like, holy shit. But to today's audiences, it's it's sort of trivial feeling what's pulled off because we see that oh, kind man. of stuff. Like even in television shows, you mean right? Television quality problem? has come up so much. Yeah, like I, space travel. Yeah, I know it's sets, just so like things like that. Every shot is so fucking beautiful that I it, even every time I watch it, I'm just in awe of it everything. It really is. And yeah, I, I think about modern equivalents to that, and I'm like, either they are ripping off 2001 and replicating what we've already seen in that movie and doing it in a way that is not as beautiful as how Kubrick did, or it's CGI and it just doesn't look very good, right? And so it, it's shocking that this was made in 68 before we even had a picture of the Earth from space, right? Like they made this movie before right. we had the blue marble picture and like it just looks fucking stunning. Like it, you're, it's shocking that they didn't have any of the space photography when they made this movie and it looks so fucking realistic. It's it's wild. Yeah. Well, that's like Kubrick's like detail to... to learning all these things mm -hmm. like working with a who was in a, a very established sci-fi author to get the concepts he actually does his research so he's working with scientists and other science fiction writers to get like okay what would it be how would this work how would we write like and he wanted all of that all of that there and yeah, and he off. actually didn't like sci-fi films. Like, you know, before 2001, sci-fi was a B genre oh, that yeah. didn't yeah. have a lot of effort put into the production. Don't and I know it. You know, he, I'm sure you do, John. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I talked about the 1953 War of the Worlds uh, a week or two ago. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing how this movie is just transcends any sci-fi that, that came before it or, or after it, really. And it's just like, I always, I always mention this whenever we talk about Kubrick, but like, it's just so amazing how he can just do a genre one time, do it better than anyone else has ever done it, and then never return to it again. <laughs> and 2001 is like the pinnacle of, of that, where he's just like, oh, sci-fi shit, I'm going to actually make a good one. And then he does it. He's like, well, I don't have to do that anymore. And then goes on and does other things. And it's just like, it's fucking wild. He defies Wes Anderson with his peaks only. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh man 
Oh, oh yeah. Well, we could we could probably just keep talking. That <laughs> yeah. was, that 2001. Was, uh, yeah. We could talk but, for like six hours on 2001. Um, yeah, that's gonna be John, an episode itself. That's later. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Dixon, we'll, we'll, you're, we'll you're just recommending dive into this. Are you refuting it? I'm so confused how uh, you feel about uh, it. This is one of the best movies that's ever been made. <laughs> if I've not been clear on that. Um, <laughs> And, and John, I will say, like, you're coming. What, what I meant by, like, this is the pinnacle of human achievement in filmmaking, we can't surpass it, is like, we could equal this movie in, in, you know, technical skill in filmmaking. I don't know that you can actually surpass this and make a movie that is better than 2001 from a technical standpoint. Like, you can argue about, like, 2001 is not my favorite movie that I've ever seen. It's probably in my top five favorite movies that I've ever seen. But, um, it's it's like I don't know that I've ever seen a movie that is made better, and I can't imagine a movie be made better than than it. It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. fucking astounding. Eight billion humans on the planet. One of you has been challenged. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> Can Lee Stubrick uh, step forward, please? <laughs> uh, but right. yes, would that, highly recommend. Nice. All right. I, I, I recommend, uh, John, give us one of those B movies. That you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned that because, uh, one of the, the movies I'm bringing for recommend or refute this time around is a B movie. Um, but it's not from Kubrick's time. It's, uh, somewhere about 17 years after something like that. Um, and, uh, it is, uh, extraterrestrial visitors. There's a Spanish title for it that I'm going to butcher right now, Los Nuevos Extraterrestres. Hey, where did you say we were going? The Sender National Forest. It's a fantastic place. So peaceful and so quiet. Not a soul for miles, I suppose. You got it. There's something very strange going on. That light, look, over there. Tommy! Tommy, get away from it! Tommy, it's going to kill you! There was no bolt of lightning. I tell you, something crashed back there. There's no need to worry, Tommy. I'm your friend. What the hell are you doing? No, Mommy, don't shoot. Please. Oh, He's strong. I, I can't hold. I can't. No, no, hold it, hold it. It stinks. Oh, boy. You sure are greedy, aren't you, Trumpy? This movie, um, if you're not familiar with it, it's directed by Juan Piquer Simon, uh, and it's 1983. So uh, I think the math that I just did does not add up. That's probably more 15 <laughs> years. Uh, yes, that would be 15. 17. Um, this movie, it was on Mystery Science Theater 3000 a long time ago when I was a wee lad. I watched an episode of it. Uh, it was called Pod People back then. I think that was the Americanized, the Westernized version of this. Um, it tries to capitalize on E.T. by having uh, an Elliot-like figure who finds an alien from outer space and befriends it. But at the same time, it injects two other plot lines into it where um, there are poachers trying to poach bird eggs. And there is a teen pop band played by a bunch of 20-year-olds trying to vacation in the same area that the poachers and the child are making friends with aliens, whatever the fuck. Um, Okay. None of these plot lines, despite the <laughs> fact that they intertwine, ever fucking matter at all. Um, Sasha has been having some trouble sleeping, and she asked me to put on a movie that would put her to sleep. And I thought, hey, this is a solid contender. Bunch of plot lines that go nowhere. Um, how good could the score be? Uh, what, what about the fucking monster effects? There's nothing gripping about this. She stayed awake the entire time because she had no idea what the fuck was going on. And she was determined to figure it out. So it kind of Is backfired. that good or bad? It, it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> it, and the fact that this movie questions, like, begs the question, why? Why would anybody see something like E.T. and go, you know what this needs? Two more plot lines, maybe even a third on top of that, and a monster that's trying to kill people. Not only that, the monsters all look like fucking jackasses. <laughs> they're like they're, they're like the ele they're like elephant people. They have trunks, but they also have like Bigfoot bear bodies that are just furry. And then okay. on top of that, you'd think that they would be tall, but they're like four foot tall. Like, so they're shorter than everybody. They're not intimidating. Looks like they have webbed hands. They have webbed hands and like, uh, like a chimpanzee kind of strength, like a real, <laughs> uh, fucking ape will just 
tears somebody apart. Everybody in this movie that dies, dies from one punch from one of these aliens and they just immediately have a, a mouth agape. Um, yeah, it's all over the place. It starts by following the poachers. There's no determining factor of whether we should sympathize with them or not. They're fucking poachers. You would think that we would hate them, but it, the movie plays as though we should sympathize with the fact that they're dying and being killed by this monster. And then this fucking stupid little kid who decides to take a giant alien egg home and hatch it, despite already having um, a human laboratory's worth of animals in cages. Um, yep. He just is like, this is the animal that I'm going to raise and have him be cage free. And he names the alien Trumpy. <laughs> he names it <laughs> Trumpy. We love aliens, don't we, folks? <laughs> exactly. I want to go back and make a dub of this where Dixon does the Trump voice for everything the alien's thinking. The alien also grows within a day's time to adult size from being a baby chicken. <laughs> it looks like a raw rotisserie chicken in its egg. Um, and immediately understands English. Anything the kid says, the alien can give a yes or no response to. Um, yeah, it, the, the main conflict of it all is, is this the alien that's killing people or is it not? And the movie tells you in every frame, it is not that same alien. Why would you ever fucking think it is? That alien's always with this dumb kid. Um, and the alien that's murdering people is murdering them because they continue to aggravate it, try to shoot it with crossbows or guns, other kinds of violence that they try to Im impact upon it. Uh, probably the only good thing I can say about this movie is, surprisingly enough, the score is pretty good. Like it's catchy in a way. Uh, it's not good, good, but it's like, I can't stop thinking about some of the songs and the rhythms that played. Um, <laughs> they didn't help the movie in any real solid way. Uh, and also I, I just want to call out that there's a whole plot line to get one of the first people in the movie murdered. You know how in like teen uh, horror movies, there's always two kids that go off in the woods to have sex and, and right. one of them gets murdered that trope or whatever. So uh, the pop band in question, the main singer, Rick, he's a really hot dude who looks like Greg Brady. Um, and there's a woman who dresses in like native American garb. who's very much not native American named Lorraine Stapleton. Uh, that's a real name. I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> and she like somehow seduces him despite the fact that he's got a girlfriend named Jesse. Jesse runs off to cry somewhere. You think this is where she gets murdered, but actually she's just comforted by another friend who goes, listen, Sharon, Deep down, that guy is nuts about you. Making out with chicks is part of his act as an artist. One today, a different one tomorrow. Oh, Just real dialogue no. worked in to justify that. Lorraine Stapleton is then murdered five minutes later because she runs away when Jesse throws coffee in her face. There's like a whole, what the fuck is even going on? Who do I care about? Everybody here is just shitty. And uh, yeah, it was... Solid English dub, I would say, of a Spanish film. I didn't watch the Spanish version. I watched the English dub, and they did a good enough job to get me not invested in the characters and commenting more on the dub itself. So, why'd you yeah. watch the English dub? It was what was default selected in the movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, I just assumed. <laughs> um, there's another line. I'll just clip it in here because why the fuck not? Uh, Laureen Stapleton, when she meets Jesse, the girlfriend of Rick. Um, Jesse immediately goes, who the hell is that? And then she just runs away, uh, frustrated. And Lorraine Stapleton within like five seconds of meeting somebody just goes, hi y'all. I'm Laura Stapleton. Sharon. What's got into that bitch? Are you all right? Rick? <laughs> <laughs> like out of nowhere, just the, <laughs> the aggression of it. Uh, it, it made me laugh really fucking hard. <laughs> so good that's funny uh, that's the type of accent too where you don't expect to hear swear words at know, all like, yeah you expect to think or be like bless your heart the, yeah. they open like a door and it reveals her and she's like i'm cold i didn't bring my jacket <laughs> <laughs> i would really like some insight into the movie making process that is like ripping off other movies yeah because this is a film company that just straight up that was what they were created to do and what they do Right. I, yeah. I can't imagine working at that place. It's like, oh, shit, Transformers came out. Fucking fake it. Let's go. Mm. Like, that's <laughs> all you do is wait for something and then fucking make up a half ass version of it. 
I will say there's one that just came out that's like a little mermaid that's like half done by AI. Oh. <laughs> and I think that's what? the future is that someone's going to come along and just be like, oh, I can knock off things and send them to Redbox and I can just have an AI do all the work. I don't even have to hire anyone. I don't have to have VFX team. I'll just fucking dump it all out. And AI will watch the real movie and then crap out a vague interpretation. Uh, that's a terrifying future. <laughs> is it? Is it top half fish, bottom half human? Oh man, I wish. <laughs> I wish. Is that the? Name I will of say the it movie? to you because it, yeah. <laughs> it has the most like uncanny mouth movements. Not uncanny valley mouth movements. Like that's not right. Mouth movements. <laughs> yeah, that's for an animation. Insane. Uh, well, that's what the writers are striking about right now about AI stuff. So uh, yeah, hopefully we don't have to live in that universe if the if the writers can get their way. I prefer but that's that the where free I'm like, market some... doesn't let that live. Oh God, John! <laughs> yeah. <what? laughs> but there's always people like out of the guild or out of the country or yeah, whatever. And that that's exactly where these like knockoff films come from. A lot of times is is just like fucking scary. Someone who's just like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm just gonna fucking make shit up. Yeah, or I'm going to use another name so then that way I don't get in trouble. Got to shame people hard <laughs> for yeah. that kind of shit. What's the director name that uh, that people throw in movies they don't want to be associated with? Alan Smithy? But they yeah. changed it recently. They changed it. It's something else now. <laughs> <laughs> Alan yeah. Smithy became too prolific. <laughs> <laughs> like they caught on to us. Yeah, they need, uh, to, they need to make it something else. Uh, I will say the only reason I kind of watched this movie and picked it out is because uh, Juan Piquer Simon um, did another Giallo film. Ryan, maybe you're familiar yep. called Pieces. Pieces. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was like, hey, I know that director. Uh, I watched Pieces. That was kind of shit. Uh, I'll, check, <laughs> I'll check this out. <laughs> and it has the same actor who plays Rick. And I realized I was like, oh, my God, this is the same guy. He just has like uh, a stable of cast members for his schlock. He's like Wes Anderson. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's just like Wes Anderson. I mean, this was about an alien coming to visit people. Uh, hey, there you <laughs> go. Maybe Wes Anderson's like him. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> they could be the same. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, scrolling through the many, many screenshots on IMDb, there is like a middle-aged white guy with bug eyes and a big smile on his face wearing a t-shirt that says, I'm a virgin. Yes. And he seems real excited about wearing that t-shirt. There... What the hell's up with that? <laughs> so he's only in it for one scene. It's the scene where we meet our pop band and they're all singing. And in the middle of that, Laureen Stapleton is like, He's pretty good about fucking Rick, our hero, I guess. And the dude who's wearing the I'm a virgin shirt goes, Good. He's the best. And that's <laughs> like his only line of dialogue aside from later. He somebody says something mean to him and he's like, Wow, she's more bitchy than I am. Fuck, so they don't explain is, why he's wearing the shirt. They never right. explain it. Nobody acknowledges it. Just none of that. It doesn't even fucking matter. Um Okay. <laughs> That's the only time he shows up. So I'm glad you noticed him. Glad the screenshots immortalized him. Mm -hmm. That man's <laughs> a treasure in this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. Everybody else, there's an actor who looks kind of like a Charlton Heston type and a dude who looks like he escaped from a Renaissance fair. Oh, sure. Um, yep. your, your usual suspects, I suppose. <laughs> um, the, looking at the pictures of the aliens, they're wearing little robes and they're short and they look like Jawas with trunks. Is yes. that kind of what they were going for? Anytime those aliens are on screen, um, there's like a Michael Myers breathing into the microphone. Like, <laughs> but they also or have 2001 to make them, breathing into the microphone. Yeah, that too. But they also have to make them sound like aliens. So some guy behind, in a booth somewhere is like, <laughs> does that like every five seconds to remind you it's an alien. Uh, it just, it never makes them any scarier than what they fucking look like. Even when they like judo chop people to death, that's how they kill them. And it just, it's funny every time. <laughs> it just makes it even funnier. People are like screaming for their lives and they're like fucking Austin powers them. <laughs> it It is amazing how shitty the ET effects work is that it still looks okay. And that, yeah, that, that like, all these like be shitty you have, like, movies Mac and me and you off. have this. Yeah. It's awful. <laughs> Just, They're awful. Right. Absolutely fucking terrible movies. 
Um, did the aliens become friends with the kid or like, is it, is it really trying to do the whole ET thing? Or like- <laughs> One of them becomes friends. <laughs> Trumpy becomes friends with him and he plays Simon says with him or Simon, the fucking uh, light up game. Oh, touch. where you have to push the colors in the right yeah, order or whatever. He makes yeah. it like sing a song that sounds like a Gary Newman song <laughs> and, and at the very end. Randy Newman, you mean? No, Gary Newman and, and the two boy army. Oh, uh, I don't know who that like is. Cars or something. You can go <laughs> listen to cars and you'll know. Um, but yeah, like uh, at the very end of the movie, Tommy, that's the boy's name, has to uh, uh, shoo away the alien by going, I hate you. I never wanted to be in my life. And he like talks old just yeller like, or something. Yes, exactly that. <laughs> He's like, get away, Trumpy. I don't want you here. And he has like that exact intonation and accent like I'm doing right now. I remember when we talked about uh, uh, me watching Don't Panic, how that guy had the Ren and Stimpy kind of voice. Uh, it's the same thing, but this kid is like pitched an octave up. Anyways, uh, extraterrestrials, that's what it's called or some shit. I don't fucking care anymore. <laughs> I don't recommend this movie. None of us knew about this movie before, and now we're not going to watch it. Yeah, so. <laughs> even, if they're, even if they're nuevos, my friends, uh, it's not worth seeing it. All right, that is a, that is a refute. That is a hard refute. That is a hard refute. <laughs> Ryan, what do you got? Uh, yeah, I'll round out. Um, after watching Asteroid City, uh, my local movie theater does a $5 mystery movie every Monday, and I never get to go, uh, but I had the chance to go this time. And it was an advanced screening of Theater Camp, Ooh. which is releasing July 14th. <laughs> Welcome, auditioners. You guys are so talented, so unbelievable. This will break you. This will fully destroy you. Congratulations on being the most talented kids at camp. Starfish, starfish, jiggle like a jackal, jiggle like a jackal. These are the things we can do with masks. These people are really weird. That's a good song choice for her. I, I do believe her as a French prostitute. Amos. Oh, I'm sorry, sex worker. Thank you. Sad news, I will not be doing piercings anymore in the hut because there's a narc amongst us. Um, Cassie has narked. It's totally fine. We're gonna need to prioritize the musicals, which means the straight plays are gonna have to be acoustic. Quick question, what's a straight play? There are musicals and then there are straight plays. So then what would be a gay play? Um, And this is directed by Molly Gordon. I think her first directing piece if i'm trying to remember and nick lieberman um and then written by the two of them and and noah galvin um starring noah galvin and molly gordon this is kind of like a a put together by them uh and ben platt is uh one of the main characters and so it's um yeah, it's also with Amy Sedaris, but don't worry, she has a stroke within the first minute of the movie. Oh, it's no. immediately <laughs> taken off, off the page. Um, the basic plot here is that uh, Amy Sedaris runs a shitty, you know, failing-ish theater camp uh, every summer. She gets a stroke uh, <laughs> watching a presentation at, at, of, or watching a play that one of the kids is in and has her son has to take over the camp uh, he is uh, an online blog influencer guy who thinks he knows how to run businesses, but all he does is talk online about how to run businesses uh, and has no fucking clue what he's in for. And so then most of the movie is just the like build up to the the end of the camp when they show their main production. Um, and so it's just we have this cast of characters that's like, each of the different, like the person who teaches music, the person who teaches dance, the person who teaches them fashion, like all their their teachers or whatever, all the students. And it's like mainly through the lens of as an outsider being like, wow, everyone's weird at this camp. Um, it's shot as a mockumentary. I'm kind of tired of mockumentaries. Mm. <laughs> I'll just like say that up front. It just kind of yeah. feels like. Eh, at this point, this has really strong, a mighty wind vibes um, to me, just because that's kind of a, a little bit similar, the sort of weird artistic people putting together their thing. Uh, and it has actual like production and music and, and people who can actually sing and shit like that. The it's funny. I laughed. The audience laughed. There were way more people there for Asteroid City. I don't know what that says that people will show up. There were like three people for Asteroid City and then a packed house for a $5 
it could be anything movie, I guess the difference <laughs> there is maybe the price or maybe people are like, nah, I don't want to watch Asteroid City. Um, it, and it was it was funny. It was one of those where like if it had been on TV and I watched it, or I was just like, yeah, whatever on streaming and, and flipped it on. Like I would watch it to the end and would laugh and would enjoy myself. But I kind of get into that like. I was sitting there thinking about like, God, my documentary can just be like grainy, out of focus, poorly framed, like on purpose. Yeah, or it can just be like, hey, this is easy. Now we can make a movie. We don't have to really give too much of a shit about it yeah. because we're doing it as a mockumentary. So if the fucking Ed angles are off or the people don't sound right, fucking yeah. whatever. The it's cinematography a and the sound can be half assed. Yeah. 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 And I and I kind of just tired of that. You know, there are times where it's been done right, but I think it's just done. It's just done. This is why I never watched The Office because I'm just like, I can't stand that formula, the formula of it anymore. Um Anyway, it was funny. Um, the, the, main, the main complaint I had beyond the like, I'm tired of mockumentaries is that there really wasn't any depth to anyone that we met and not really any character arcs or anything. It kind of just goes by the beats of like, they're failing. There's this camp next to them that wants to buy them out. That's a, a camp of business kids. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, like a through, rural camp of business kids. <laughs> yes. That's hilarious. Um, at, Are yeah, they wearing they suits have, at business yes, camp? Yeah, they have oh like a God. they have a mixer at one point that they do this mixer every year, and it's the the theater camp kids like all dancing and all going crazy, and all the like entrepreneurial kids just like standing there, all dressed up, having no idea what to do. Amazing. Um, so they, they, you know things like that. It's funny the characters. I, I think are good. Like I like the actors, the roles, the characters. It's just, they don't really have any more depth beyond the just sort of like they've come to this camp before, or these guys always work at this camp and that's it. There are, there is the main arc of, there are two uh, teachers who are kids at the camp for like 11 years and, and then have been teaching for like another 11 years. This has been their full life has just been this camp and they're like inseparable and annoying as all hell because they are just like twins that repeat and say the same things or whatever. And it, that's generally played for laughs. But there's this kind of growing distance between them. And they always put on the main play at the end of the season. And this time they're doing it about uh, Amy Sedaris's character who had a stroke. I will say in the movie, it's pretty funny and is called out a couple times that everyone acts like she is dead, not that she's in a coma. She doesn't actually die. She's in a coma, but everyone acts like she died and talks about her like she's dead. And the play yeah. is like in her memory, even though she's still <laughs> alive. <laughs> um, and so that's the big final production is like finding our cast for who's going to be in the play and, and all that kind of stuff. I, yeah. And so it was like, it doesn't rise above what it is. So if you're like, oh, I want a kind of a funny light mockumentary, uh, let's like kind of laugh about theater and, you know, kind of the what theater is. Uh, and then we'll have the big thing at the end and they make all the money they need to save the camp. Da, 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 da. You know, like that's it's yeah. fine. It totally services that um, it just never really hit a point where I was like, oh, I transcended it or got like really good or really above it. Is there any uh, unique joke in it? Because like uh, this story is kind of like told I, again and again. And most of the time I find it's told to deliver some things that are really memorable. But was there any? Yeah, I would punch? actually say one of the one of the biggest laughs. And sadly, this is where I, this is kind of where I'm pointing at of kind of like the size of the cast and the way they get used is a little bit of a waste because there's so much going on that there's not enough time for people. There is a kid who comes to camp and this is his first time coming to camp. Uh, and so I thought I was like, oh, this is going to be an important character because he gets into the main uh, final play. But he kind of like kind of just comes in and out a little bit and he's like, fine, he does well in the play and, and all that stuff. It's not really like it doesn't really have any weight, hmm. um, but it's it's revealed at the end of camp that he has two uh, homosexual fathers uh, who come and when he puts on the play in the last part of it, they're singing about like what they've learned at the camp. And he's like, I've learned to be okay with being a straight white man. <laughs> his, uh. his two dads are sitting in the audience and they're like, we've always known. It's okay. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so that, that got like a huge laugh. And I was like, that's funny. Like that's legitimately yeah. funny. Like I dig it. Like that was a good flip. So there were things like that, that I was like, they were funny. 
and it was done where it never really felt like it was going bit to bit. Like I, you know, I've definitely complained about that before. It flowed. It flowed. It was perfectly put together. It flowed. It made sense. It did just what it needed to have, like the basics of a of a plot. You knew where it was going, but that let you get the you know the laughs of the kind of unexpected things along the way. Yeah. Um. But there were so many things that I thought like could have really gone somewhere and been interesting. Uh. In in order to save money, the guy lays off a bunch of the staff and then just opens one position to fill up all these other roles that he laid off. And he ends up hiring someone who just lied on her resume about all the shit because she just wanted a job. And so she's just fucking faking it the whole time, just trying to like fake her way through the classes, but actually like kind of getting stuff done in spite of it. Um, But that's it. Like that's the whole level of it. There's really not anything particularly good or funny about that or, or a worthy payoff. Right. And that, that's where I'm kind of like, it just never really gets above it. It's just like, that's there to be kind of like the funny one thing of like, Oh, that's funny. And then we just, we're done. We move on. Yeah. So this screened at, at uh, South by this past year and I didn't get a chance to, to see it. it premiered at Sundance, but then it screened at, at South by, but, um, the, the, one of the actors that stood out to me in the trailer is Jimmy Tatro, who is mm. the, like the bro dude from American Vandal who gets accused of drawing all the dicks on everybody's cars. <laughs> uh, is, is, how is he in, in this? How, how does that character stand out? Yeah, he's the same guy. I think he just stopped being accused of drawing dicks and graduated and didn't do anything with his life. Like yeah. it literally, he plays the kind of the same character where he's a bro and that's the the juxtaposition here of like the broy guy in the theater camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he sort of kind of gets him at the end question mark like it doesn't really matter. Um he, he's funny, but I almost immediately was like, "Hmm, Channing Tatum would be amazing in this <laughs> exactly in this role, exactly in this movie." Like he's that I like that kind of what is I what I wanted was that level. Yeah. Um and so he's like he's fine, but it never really gets like where he's either funny or emotional enough in a way that like raises up. So again, it's like they got, I think the casting and everything is like, great. Everybody's like, great. They worked with what they had. I get the feeling there was a lot of improv within this, a lot of like, you know, being loose. He essentially is kind of in the background, kind of trying to always like get the camp going. And he has these schemes of like, uh, Airbnb being out part of the camp to some random dude, (laughs) And he like hosts uh, like a rotary club dinner and doesn't tell them that the kids are going to be serving them. And he doesn't want to tell the kids that he's renting out part of the theater for them. So he tells them it's a practice like play session and that they can just get into being the characters of a waiter. And it all goes to shit, you know, like you would you would think it is because the kids are just like overacting and they have accents <laughs> and, and shit that they're making up and they're like dialogue. And and yeah. Um, so the, you know, it's like, again, it's funny. And like, I remember these things and I probably kind of will remember and like laugh about them. Um, so it's like, you know, it's like a, you know, it's kind of that level where I'm like, I'm going to give it like, I guess a recommend because it's not stay away from it. It's not bad. Um, I think it's actually like good and enough that I'm like, seeing as this is kind of the first take for a lot of these people, like directing and writing, they've done shorts. Um, they collaborate with Ben Platt a lot. Um, who now I'm forgetting his name. Uh, Noah Galvin um, actually kind of is really stand out at the end. Um, he's he's also one of the characters that like gets an arc where he's like this. He's this the main stagehand, and he's like the son of a son of a stagehand. But you kind of find out through it like he's actually really really talented dancing and singing, but he's just been a stagehand because that's what he's supposed to be. Uh, and they have him fill in the play at the last minute. And it, that's the like, oh, when it the play that this little shitty play the kids are doing, like rises to another level because of him. Uh, and I was like, wow, his fucking performance of all that was like really, really good. I was like, he's really fucking awesome. Hmm. And I went back to look it up and I was like, oh, he's kind of doing he hasn't really been doing the shit he should be doing. Uh, like, yeah, I'm like, he's a side character in The Good Doctor. And I'm like, that's the hmm. wrong role for him. He should be doing something else because he's awesome. Um, so that was like, yeah, kind of, I feel like there's a lot of people where this is a good kind of first take that I think then they can take and even go a little bit further and do something else. Like, I think this is a good rough start. Hopefully not a mockumentary. I want something else. 
I really would have yeah. liked it if it had just been straight. Like it's a theater camp and that, you know, it's exactly that. Like we got to save the theater camp. Da, 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 and it was just played a hundred percent straight. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know why it had to be a mockumentary. It did use the little like titles for some gags, you know, now and then of like filling in the stuff. Um, but did I need that? No. <laughs> I have to wager. It's just because easier production and just like, yeah, I think can it's keep imperfections in it pretty easily and call that yeah. natural. I think they filmed at an actual camp, you know, when it was out of season. So they could just fucking use a camp. Then they can use like a couple shitty cameras and not worry too much about the audio because yep. there's no ADRing or anything. It was all just on the take. Um, so I'm like, yeah, I think this was probably keeping it as light. Apparently they did a short. I did not look that up. I guess they did part of this as a short and then expanded it into a feature. Hmm. I think part of it probably is too that just like there are a lot of people making movies now who grew up loving Christopher Guest and that's right. why we have a proliferation of right, mockumentaries right. that it's just kind of there are people who are into that and that's the kind of thing they want to make and, and it's they think that it's adding a level of entertainment to kind of create a layer between the audience and, and the story and I think sometimes that can work really well. But oftentimes I think it it's like it's hard to do that better than it's already been done. And yeah. it almost feels like a hat on a hat to to a degree. And it's just like, just just tell me the story and don't like I've seen this done so much better previously by other people. Like it's hard to do a mockumentary that feels new anymore. It's something else about the mockumentary that's changed from what guest and crew because it's always the same group of people yeah um are doing because spinal tap honestly I, I mean it nails it right out the gate let you know yeah. being honest because it transcends being a mockumentary to where it just feels so fucking legitimate that it confuses people right yeah <laughs> right and it, but it also is so ridiculous but it's mm. not so ridiculous that it's not believable it's it's just a weird like perfect level of like stretching it and everything and and just getting the boundaries but also like we have the it it is framed as the mockumentary but we don't have just the hidden camera crew we actually have yeah. right an interviewer the the director of it like we have a character that's a stand-in for that um, which guest uses in a lot of his to to have that as the framing piece, which seems like that goes out the window. Like who's filming the office doesn't fucking matter. Well, the Why office did is keep its filming? own. Yeah, right. I yeah, wouldn't when, even that's categorize that as a mockumentary. That's well, that's just the its own weird. That's style. the style. That's aped, yeah, yeah, that's the style yeah. that's kind of aped now. Is that where it's sort of just like this mysterious disembodied camera? Right. <laughs> is is that what? Um, theater camp is doing is it more the office kind of fake mockumentary or is it does it feel like a christopher guest mockumentary type thing it it feels like a christopher guest we don't have any like side interview bullshit that you usually see there's not really yeah. any of that there's like a little at the beginning because it's just like to introduce the people and it that feels natural in a documentary right where you kind of like first introduce somebody and you kind of tell their background and they use some title cards and maybe sure. a couple shots with them and then that's it we kind of just continue through. So it is, it does feel much more like there's a camera crew at the camp filming it. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a couple scenes where I'm like, this doesn't make any sense that a film crew would be there. Like, so there's a little <laughs> yeah. bit where my, you know, my brain yeah. broke. Um, that, that was where I was like, why then why have that? You know, if you know, you already have to do some things that it doesn't make sense how you would, unless you have 10 cameras, like how do you have these shots? Right. How do you have the right? But it, even with guests, I would say, like, if you look at a Mighty Wind or Best in Show, they're shot well. There's no yeah. wiggliness, shakiness, right, to cover up anything. Like, they're really, but it's clear it's a documentary quote within it of how they're doing it. But it's a very good, very well-made documentary, right, is mm. how those feel. Um, yeah, and I feel like something happened, and I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's The Office is the first to kind of do it, but I think that The Office was so prolific that it just became, that's what you do with with like a mockumentary it's weird how that's bled in stylistically to like so many things where like handheld camera is used to emphasize 
I guess a like shitty zooms. That, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. You're, you're watching. Yeah. Like uh, I think of like Man of Steel, which I haven't seen in so long, but I just remember being <laughs> fucking mad when I saw that shit. Dude. Superman's like leveling Zod through building after building, and you get a fucking fake ass bystander zoom in like digital. And I was uh, like, yes. Why? What the fuck am I even? Why do I even care about this shit? Yeah, we're putting in someone's cell phone shot of Superman flying by in the middle of this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does the like listening to someone on the other side of a window and uh, blinds kind right. of thing a couple times, you know, yeah. that sort of like, oh, we're not supposed to be seeing this kind of thing. Um, but again, I'm like, it doesn't really do it for any like real purpose. There's nothing that's here that's like, oh, this is supposed to be a documentary or this is supposed to be making fun of documentaries. Yeah, it's more of like it's making fun of a theater camp, but it just is a documentary because it's easier to shoot. Yeah, that's I, weird. I will say that. Um, yeah, I was just well, before we even started recording, Ryan, I was telling you that I watched the Blackberry movie and I enjoyed it. Um, that's my one brand movie this year, everybody. OK, I swear. I'm not going to watch. You're not going to go see Barbie? I bet you or, watch Barbie. I'll watch Barbie. But I mean, like, that's my one like brand origin biopic thing. I'm not going to watch Flaming Hot Cheetos or Air. Dixon already told me Air is OK. Serviceable. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the Blackberry movie, there are those like Zoom documentary style things and no acknowledgement mm-hmm. of a camera crew. And then they, they'll cut to certain sequences to reveal like behind walls, people talking about stuff. And I'm not sure if it's just Matt Johnson wanting to do that or what the fuck. But that was probably the most annoying part of Blackberry for me was like, I really wish you just did this like straight up. I don't want it to feel like a docudrama thing. I don't care. Dixon, were you going to say something? I feel like you were going to say something. I was just going to say, because Ryan mentioned Best in Show. We were talking about Christopher Guest. That movie is just absolutely <laughs> yeah, I've never seen that movie. fucking incredible. Oh, I got to watch that show. Like, I fucking love that I, one. I'm kind of hit or miss on Christopher Guest. I didn't like Waiting for Guffman. Mm. Um, yeah, I like this as Spinal Tap. Rob Reiner directed that, but Christopher Guest is very involved in it. But Best in Show, holy shit. Like, just absolute roll on the floor. Hilarious. I gotta watch that fucking movie. I've only ever seen it in between commercial breaks on Comedy Central when I'm like flipping channels. Oh and yeah, I, no, I you should. Like it needs a proper. You should sit down. I have the Blu-ray. I can, okay. uh, I can let you borrow it. Right. It's, it's really good. Nice. Yeah. No, it's fucking. I love that. I love that one. I agree. That's that. Spinal Tap is amazing, and and I think that that's. And Rob Reiner is the like in the mm-hmm. film guy doing the film piece or whatever that adds to it. But yeah, I would agree. Best in show. A Mighty Wind I liked when I watched it, but I I remember a lot of things from Best in Show, and there are things I quote from that. Yeah. Um, so that one definitely still, like, stands out in my mind. Uh, fucking Fred Willard in that one. Like, that's oh. the definitely one of the things that stands out to me. Like Fred Willard is so good. It's so sad that he's he's gone. Yeah. He's just, everything he was in, he was, like, stealing every scene of yeah. every movie that he was ever in. And, yeah, just, he was so good. Yeah, that was is when he passed. I was instantly I went back and was like, I watch his scenes from Best in Show because that's yeah. yeah to me the like I I loved him in that. And like All I right. didn't I didn't like Waiting for Guffman, but his scenes are hilarious in Waiting it, for Guffman. Just yeah, so good. That that one's up in its ass a little bit, I guess. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think the problem with that one, I agree. All right, so we'll, but, we'll yeah. uh, wrap up. Uh, so we have a recommend for 2001 colons space odyssey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that is correct. A, a uh, refute for pod people. Extraterrestrial slash visitors. Extraterrestrial visitors. Slash it doesn't matter. You're never going to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if you see Juan Piquer Simon, just, just go the other way. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, pieces was all right. It was kind of shit, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Pieces is, well, like, you're already in that genre. Shit. You're already Joe in that supposed genre. To be shit, right? <laughs> if you find pieces, you're already there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, a recommend dot question mark for uh, theater camp. <laughs> hey, man, it sounded like a kind of a scrappy production and it's a rough start, but it sounded like it had some I, solid. Practice. I think it's one where I'm like, yeah, I think there's some good things coming down the line from, yeah. from this group. Yeah. Uh, this cool. is the way you get some funding, right? You get something through Searchlight, you run the, you run all the shows, you get a little buzz, and then you get something bigger. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta uh, do Satan's Alley before you can do Tropic Thunder. So. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have been your host, Ryan King, and with me tonight we have 
John Garcia. If you see an alien that has a Trump on its face, I'm sorry, it has a trunk on its face. <laughs> a trunk on its face. Trumpy, or it's, it has a Trump on its face. Fucking just run away, okay? That's the lesson I've learned tonight. I think the alien with the Trump oh, no. on its face is Melania. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Good one. Uh, good one. All right. Good sign off. Yes, and the, and that was brought to you by the wonderful Michael Dixon. Thanks for putting up with our bullshit. Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.